I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. Do you want anything from the shop? Call it out. Chocolate! It doesn't say anything about a chocolate, does it? No. No, it doesn't. Sure it doesn't. So fuck off! My boss says he can eat 50 eggs, he can eat 50 eggs. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! You sort of fireable quint, you know that? Hello, and welcome to the latest Spool Podcast. Hello, I'm Nigel Weekly, and he is Pork McGill. Hello. And we are back after a four and a half week break, maybe a five week break, where we've done things like oh, celebrated oh, Christmas and been to the cinema loads to see lots of great movies. Um, I don't think we've had a four week block of time with as many strong releases I'm just going to say that no yeah very solid kind of end of Christmas start of January and yeah kind of amazing so do you want to kick us off with one that's out in a couple of days time yeah uh, so this is Spotlight it's also up for some Oscars it's directed by Tom McCarthy and it's based on the team of journalists who are the Spotlight team at the Boston Globe who uncovered the Scandal in the Catholic Church whereby senior level clerics knew about uh, paedophile priests and sex uh, offender priests and moved them around to power, something that Ireland is very familiar with. So they broke it in the Boston Globe in about 2001-2002, I think. So the team is Michael Keaton, is kind of like the editor, he's Robbie Robinson. We have Mark Ruffalo, who's Mike uh, Resendez. I don't know how it's pronounced the surname, but I've written it down. Anyway, then we've Rachel McAdams as Sasha Pfeiffer. Uh, Liv Shriver is Marty Barn, and he's the new editor of the Boston Globe. That kind of kicks the whole thing off where he comes over and... Yeah, he's from, in from LA or something, isn't it? Yeah. And he's just like, why aren't you talking about this? pointed out a lot. He's uh, Jewish. And they're kind of seen... It was like, well, you need this sometimes to review the church, somebody from the outside. So on his first day, and apparently this is actually true because the director was saying it, um, he came in and saw an editorial by another journalist in another paper uh, wondering if Cardinal Law knew about uh, sex offender priests and he's like, what are we doing on this? And everyone's like, nothing. Yeah. So he's like, um, well, why isn't this something Spotlight looks into? And then just quickly, the last member of the Spotlight team is John Slattery, who plays Ben Bradley Jr. He's the guy with the moustache. I thought he was great. really liked him. So then Spotlight kind of gets to work and it's a real old school investigative journalism team where it just takes weeks and weeks, starts putting out some feelers. And what kind of kicked it off as well is Stanley Tucci plays this lawyer, uh, Mitchell Garbedian, uh, who's taken a lot of these cases on board. On behalf of... The, 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 the abused. The abused, yeah. And then Billy Crudup is the yeah. church's kind of... So uh, it's fantastic. It's a real... Uh, um, my review might be up by now. Uh, I'm gonna I, ha- I haven't it. read your review yet, yeah. Pork. This is a, we're now in a Saturday. I think I'd expect your review by what, Tuesday? Yeah. I'm the editor. See, this is yeah. a journalistic thing. I can put the hammer down. So um, I'm going to kind of label it all the Pope's men because it kind of has the feeling of... All the President's Men, it's kind of a real old school, um, focusing on the story. You know, it's not that razzmatazz or uh, the director kind of was saying in the Q&A after it. At some stages throughout the process, they were like, can we not have a more noticeable bad guy? You know, and he's like, well, Cardinal Law is pretty bad. Yeah. But the way it's shot, he kind of knew what they meant. It's just like the whole endemic system. There's not one bad bishop, let's say, or an archbishop, yeah. or even the Pope. We don't really even see his No, face. and there isn't even mm. too much reference to him. Because uh, Liv Triver, as the editor says, when they seem to have broken the case, where it's obvious that there are 80 or 90 offending priests in the diocese, 
he says yeah but the real story is did the cardinal know and we need to figure out yeah hold hold the story because we need yeah this could be bigger so um yeah i thought it was brilliant it's really really good um really engaged you pull you in I think to handle the way the way they deal with the people who have been abused is fantastic because when they're starting out to kind of the journalists are meeting with some of the abuse victims and the way they explain how they were all from poor backgrounds and priests like they were very devoted Catholics it was in the 60s and 70s and 80s and it was still a very big part of people's lives so the fact that a priest was paying any attention to them was amazing and then it just shows how it becomes this how they're groomed and how it becomes this cycle of abuse and moved yes. that's the thing and we've known about that in Ireland a little bit but certainly with it where they can actually point and they got all the data of priest A is here then he goes on sick leave and is, he's yet all, all that happens is he's moved to the south of the diocese and everything so um, yeah I thought it was really great we're going to take a wee small clip from it here where we have Paul Gilfoy who's kind of like the head of a Catholic uh, charity and he's having a chat with Michael Keaton about the fact that the Boston Globe is going to print this story you know you get a lot of people here respect you Robbie oh, wow. the work you do that's good to know. You know, it's because you care about this place. Yeah. It's why you do what you do. It's who you are. You know, people need the church more than ever right now. You know, you can feel it. And the Cardinal, uh, you know, the Cardinal, he might not be perfect. But we can't throw out all the good he's doing over a few bad apples. Now... You know, I'm bringing this up to you because I know this is Barron's idea, his agenda. I got to tell you, I mean, honest to God, I mean, he doesn't care about the city the way we do. I mean, how could he? This is how it happens, isn't it, Pete? What's that? Guy leans on a guy and suddenly the whole town just looks the other way. Very good. Um, yeah, it's nice to get to listen to those. I saw this about a month ago because I got to a preview, but then you've only gotten an early preview and then you've seen it more recently. Um, I have to admit, before it came out, that I had a lot of reservations about it because I think we, uh, Ireland's relationship with clerical abuse and the church is pretty different, I think, to America. But because um, they focused on Boston, which is so strongly Irish anyway, um, you actually got the sense of, oh, yeah, it is the dominant religion. The Jew who came in was the big outsider um, and the church kind of ruled it. So, um, yeah, it was weird. And I have an, uh, <clears throat> a weird link with this as well. When I was in Canada, I ended up doing a job for a while with the uh, Archdiocese of Toronto, which is funny because I'm not a Catholic person or anything like that. So uh, it was sort of fun to work within that environment and see it as an outsider and observe how how the Catholic charities are built in uh, to the organisation, how certain uh, national print papers have a relationship with the church and others don't, even in a in a society like that that prides itself on being relatively kind of secular and open. There's still, the church still has this sort of reverence in some places and then is ignored by others, whereas, um, and, and it's almost like a level of, I don't, I don't know, complicity or something, but the way the charities work within it, within the church is very... 
it powerful is. and the community and yeah I won't no I won't you because I don't mean it in a negative mm. way like now it has actually come full circle there and they've dealt with all their um, abuse things and it's now into the rehabilitation process um, and I think that's what we don't see any of that here this was very much a snapshot of 15 years ago um, and a very different time like we I read a tweet uh, this morning from Fintan O'Toole maybe you saw it he uh uh, Spotlight's the best film I've seen about what good journalism is actually like. No heroes, no deep throat, just hard slog. And then he goes on to say, it also reminds us that the late Mary Raftery did all this and more in Ireland without a big investigative team. So a lot of this had kind of had kind of happened in the late 90s and early 2000s. had been talk in Ireland and that. But I think it was quite simultaneous then, a lot of the, the big abuses and it kind of rocked the church as a whole. And at the end of Spotlight, they do that nice thing that sort of puts a bit of context on it and shows all the abuse cases, not only in America, which is what we got to see, but then they bring in um, Ireland and South America and all yeah. that kind of thing. So, But there is a bleak element, I think, to it because there's a small spoiler here, but this is kind of a true story, so you can look it up. Uh, the Cardinal who's involved, nothing happens to him. He gets shipped off to a really high position in Rome. And the director was talking after and not many people have gone to jail for this day because and the within Irish law there was a system whereby they weren't actually committing a certain crime um, you know and so it's really kind of heartbreaking because nobody has been heavily held to account a lot of people were moved around and what I would worry about like I think these stories kind of came to prominence when the Catholic Church doesn't have as much an influence in people's lives anymore and yeah, we're not scared. No, it doesn't no. have that like, level we, of fear. We're here doing a tweet. If this was, yeah, if we were on private radio twenty years ago, we wouldn't have dared mention this. Yeah. you know. But I, th- what I would worry for is in developing countries where Catholicism is kind of flourishing, in like Africa, Asia, South America, and I would. Yeah, but it's not a good idea to say that a priest is an abuser in those things, um, because then a program gets kind of shut down. Prime time investigates. <laughs> True. Um, so but it, it kind of does also have that kind of as well as the, the drama it is making the point of well investigative journalism is gone pretty much you know and yeah. within this country we have uh, the TV team behind um, RTE investigations yeah. unit and you know the Phoenix magazine will dig in on, at, at a time but in Ireland the, no, the journalists work pocket. alone yeah. journalists will work alone like now if you if you see a big expose and we got a little bit of it not I shouldn't even mention the word expose an expose not TV3's expose about an issue or like with the when the banking tapes showed up like that was probably the only print example I can remember where it felt like a newspaper was working together and they held on to this big story and then put it out in the right kind of way whereas now if there's any bit of a scoop they just they bounce on it straight away and they mm. want to print it and it's all credited to one journalist or whatever and they, there's not that same thing of a magazine or a supplement or whatever they spotlight wants to call itself working as a team and being allowed to spend months so I think you're I think the RTE investigations unit the way they have that culture of being given six months and hiring researchers and digging in and not just going to print or going to broadcast unless they mm. they kind of have it so. and there's kind of an interesting we because this always happened before the internet was huge early it was like 2001 there's great there's a little AOL sign in it as well and they have a real 
they're kind of like, like oh bloggers <laughs> yeah there's a joke towards the end where it's just like oh we want to put this story up on the website too and we'll put a link on the bottom of the thing and the editor kind of looks at your <gasps> man going like what's what's a link or the he's yeah, like okay do whatever you want click on a link in a newspaper yeah um i actually i really enjoyed it about that because i enjoyed that about it because it gave a lovely snapshot of that time when print was king and they showed um last year bear with me tangent time uh, popular mechanics magazine did this uh partnership it may have been the Boston Globe or it could have been the New York Times one of the giant newspapers anyway and they showed how a newspaper uh, goes to goes to print where the stories come from we kind of know about that but then the next step of the distribution the printing signing off and everything and then the delivery and they went and took all they spent time with delivery men and everything and this film kind of just touched on that and really got me kind of thinking about the importance of of print media whereby you just see the trucks pulling out it going to print and then the trucks are there and you're like fuck our story is going to go out there now mm. and it's a powerful kind of thing because you and I will enjoy we enjoy the Sunday papers and Saturday papers and respect the work that goes in during the week into a Sunday news supplement and um, and how it's very important and sets the agenda and everything. Whereas I think there's a generation of people who that's not part of their radar. Like yeah, in, the only quibbles I have with it are kind of small. Like I think it's a very good film. There was a bit too much, and it's kind of a necessary evil with a film like this. There's a bit too much. Like oh, tell me about that or what was that? Where they're trying to make it look like a natural conversation, but it's just a plot with the way the journalists yeah would carry on Hi. sometimes and I thought Mark Ruffalo was a bit gorilla like yeah he kind of <laughs> obviously went and talked to your man and studied him and your man obviously carries on like that because you don't pull that performance out of your ass like you can't when you're representing someone like that you can't just turn them do into you remember this weird after, caricature do you remember after I saw it though and I was like yeah Mark Ruffalo I don't know if it was you I was telling but I was like yeah it's really really good but Mark Ruffalo is weird in this movie but he's gotten his awards nods and everything for it so I think it's kind of one of the favourites to win Best Picture yeah and I would like I'd be happy if it, I have no problem with it winning Best Picture you know if it's not going to be Brooklyn let it be spotlight okay um, moving on anyway uh, one that came out just uh, this past Friday is The Big Short um, you've seen The Big Short as well very good so um, this is a very different film like this is dealing with an arguably as important subject matter as the uh, clerical abuse that d- deals with the economic crash in America and how the housing situation September 2008 yeah not September 11 but September 08 and Merrill Lynch and all you know these banks collapse sort of thing so um, anyway we'll just take a clip to kind of allude to the tone and so on of this. he's been in there for seven hours I already got a breakdown. He's letting the fight tank. No, he actually prefers that you email him. Excuse me. Mr. Fields, Mr. Hi, Lawrence. We have no confidence in your ability to identify macroeconomic trends. You flew here to tell me that? Why? Anyone can see that there's a real estate bubble. Actually, no one can see a bubble. That's what makes it a bubble. That's dumb, Lawrence. It's always markers. Mortgage fraud quintupled since 2000, and the average take-home pay is flat, but home prices are soaring. That means the homes are debt, not assets. So Mike Burry, a guy who gets his hair cut at Supercuts and doesn't wear shoes, knows more than Alan Greenspan and Hank Paulson. Yeah, Dr. Mike Burry, yes, he does. Okay, and we're back. So that was Christian Bale um, with... Uh, he plays Michael Berry, who's a hedge fund manager. 
Um, the film d- kind of picks out a lot of characters, a little bit like Spotlight, but picks out a lot of people to kind of focus on. And um, Christian Bale being one of them, he's an eccentric kind of hedge fund manager. So we saw in the clip there that he likes his heavy, you know, kind of rock music. We hear him listen to Metallica. He doesn't wear shoes sometimes. He has a baggy T-shirt, but you got to kind of trust him. He's on him. the spectrum. He's on a spectrum for sure. I think I think I read an interview, yeah, his, his son... Maybe he was diagnosed with Asperger's, and then Michael Berry came out and said maybe I had Asperger's or something. So he he yeah he's sort of one of these wacky geniuses. But um, Christian Bale well suited to playing him. So he's in one strand of the story. Then Steve Carell plays Mark Baum, who is another hedge fund manager, but a little bit um, an angrier kind of guy. So his in a bit that's kind of touched on a little bit. Uh, his brother killed himself last year, and Mark didn't really do much about it. He was on the phone to him minutes before he died. Anyway, he gets wind that Michael Berry is uh, betting against the American housing system at a very simple level um, which uh, is fun there's these things called I, I, I won't even get into things because I'll, I'll just sound ridiculous but collateralized debt obligations I think and anyway so Mar- Michael Berry builds a system where he can bet that the system's going to crash the bank let him take this bet and say sure we'll take your money ha 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 we're never going to we're never going to pay, pay out a dime on this because it's been the safest thing for the last 40 yeah. years and but Michael Berry has looked into all the stats and everything so anyway B- Mark Baum Steve Carell's character kind of gets wind of this and then is convinced by Ryan Gosling's character called Jared Vinette to invest in this as well there's a weird dynamic there it's kind of hard to work out whose advantage it is for what they're doing but anyway and then the third strand is two guys Charlie and Jamie can't remember who played either of them they're just kind of like Cheech and Chong or whatever but uh, they hear about uh, Venet's work and decide to get their get get some skin in the game as they say so um, but they need a big big time player to get involved in this and for that, they get uh, a banker called Ben Rickert, who's played by Brad Pitt. I have a lot of that written down. I would not yeah. be able to relay that because I found it very hard to work out how how the whole thing was sort of linked together or whatever. Did Brad Pitt produce this film? Because it's based yeah. on a book by the guy who wrote Moneyball. Moneyball, correct. Yes. So, so Brad Pitt is a, an exec producer, yeah. for sure. Or he mm-hmm. kind of put the project together. Um, yeah, so I it took me a while to kind of, as I was watching it, to work out if I liked it or if I... I, I was definitely enjoying it, but then I was, it took me a while to work out if I was enjoying it for the right reasons and if it was... Because it takes a very lighthearted thing. This is directed by Adam McKay, who has made five films with Will Ferrell and um, is a comedy kind of guy. So this is a sort of unusual change in direction for him, but he actually handles it quite well. And the whole thing is more or less a comedy. I wrote, uh, it's up on the site at the minute, uh, that the whole, there's a lot of laughs in there, you know, and he does these things with celebrities where he gets them to kind of turn to the camera and explain what's going on, um, which, again, everyone in the cinema loved it, but I was like, is it too wacky? Is it, does it fit, does it belong in a film like this? Um, but I guess it, I guess it sort of did, and it helped to understand what was going on. Yeah. That was it, because my bigger problem was that Ryan Gosling was kind of narrating the film and kind of uh, being a, a smart sort of person. But anyway, it felt very like The Wolf of Wall Street as well, in terms of that. Uh, there's no, um, there's only three walls in the film because they keep breaking the fourth wall at yeah. entirely. Like someone will say something about somebody, and then that person you're looking at will then talk to the camera and say, Yeah, this is why I did this, and kind of blah, blah, blah. Like it's a weird comedy documentary almost. And I was saying it to someone that to me it feels like if MTV did a film about the crash. Like this it just, is what you get. It just has a weird, at the start, the edits are weird and the kind of scenery 
the kind of filler shots that they're doing are odd. Um, or the bits in between showing the passage of time. Yeah. yeah, I actually kind of thought that was cool. Like Britney Spears, they'll just drop in. Yeah, and... some stuff like that. It kind of dissipated a bit towards the end. Um, yeah, it's very enjoyable. I didn't laugh once, though. Like, not in a bad way, but I was just like, yeah, I kind of smiled a bit. Um, it t- did touch because it's really bleak, you know, because the guys are betting against something to feel. So when it does feel uh, millions of people are going to be homeless and like Brad Pitt and other people point that out at different times. Yeah. You know, being you're going like, to make money from this, but you're kind of like profiting off misery. misery. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there was no point where it's just like, oh, yeah, this is great. And it doesn't make you leave you feeling upbeat and the kind of touching that in the end. Um, yeah, it's an odd one. I don't know. It's not. It's it's kind of trying to be light and bubbly, but has a serious side to it. Whereas something like The Wolf of Wall Street was just pure entertainment. Pure entertainment. Or then like, to go the other way, the film that I certainly love, Margin Call. Yeah, that's uh, a much better film, I think. Yeah, Margin Call is a, br- a brilliant film. So. And like the bit, like this is all before Margin Call. And Margin Call is then where the banks figure out we've got shit and we need to dump it before yeah. other people cop on. So the on. people on the end of the line, maybe. Yeah. Are, in some of the, on the end of the phone as they're trying to sell. And so like, and... this happened a while ago it was like 2008 by now but I think a lot of people maybe the vast majority of people don't understand it but kind of I think they go over it a bit too much you're kind of like oh come on a bit you know they keep throwing back to it and referring to it Um, some of the characters as well and again I gave the I gave it three and a half I enjoyed it and everything mm. a lot but um, no one really feels like a normal human as well like they've maybe the guys who work with Steve Carell um almost verge on regular characterization yeah reef spall is it yeah yeah um is is somewhat normal but everyone else feels like a a thing um like a caricature almost and i guess that's okay yeah but did they need to have them so wacky and out there um i'm just surprised will ferrell uh wasn't i think in the we we had adam mckay at our screening and he said that will ferrell was wanted to be in it so he I don't know who we would have played, but um, probably the Steve Carell character. But yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, very good, really, really strong. To and I enjoyed it immensely. But I don't think it's the kind of one you'd recommend to people to go to to get a better sense of the crash or to even understand. Like they touched on it uh, the when they went to Florida to look at a housing development. Like the film took a very dark turn there when mm. they went and these horrible broken down houses um, and they knock on a door and they just t- they were kind of doing research. Like they didn't really explore it. They just dipped into this example and they knock on a door to tell this guy, do you know that your landlord isn't paying his mortgage so you might be homeless soon? And he had no idea. He had no idea and he didn't know what was going on. And then they're kind of walking out and then an alligator is in this big pool and kind snaps and um, that's about the only time where it kind of feels like a real uh, reality of what that actual situation was it and probably at the very end when is it Morgan Stanley when it's or one of the banks when they break back in to kind of have a look at this stock uh, stock room floor and you're like yeah Goldman Sachs I think maybe was it Goldman okay yeah yeah the two young lads kind of break yeah but again if you want to actually understand it go and watch Margin Call or the documentary Inside Job or, and also watch The Wolf of Wall Street for the film that this is kind of wanting to be. I think we're very much in agreement on this, whereby it's it's good and really enjoyable to watch, but what is There's it? better films, yeah. And I don't know why it's got so many Oscars. I think it's, yeah. It's, it it back, is a puzzler. I mean, go back to the Who Are the Academy kind of and it's yeah, a bunch of maybe, old guys. Maybe. 
And again, we'll get on to that. We're going to do an Oscars podcast next year, but I'm still burning because Todd Haynes and Carol got more or less sidetracked. But that just anyway, means they still have seven that just nominations. That it's a really good film. Yeah. All the best. Don't get nominated for Oscars. Anyway. Uh, Except Rome and Brooklyn. They're great. Yeah, we love Ireland. <laughs> do you want to do the Revenon? Yes. So the other... I don't know. I haven't really looked at the betting polls. I presume it's one of the favourites. But well, I do some live yeah. now. I'm going to reach for the old uh, when I talk about calculator. so the Revenant is the two films in a row from he had Birdman last year. So Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu uh, directed the Revenant, and it's set in the 1820s, uh, kind of frontier America. Stars Leonardo DiCaprio in his toughest role to date. Trademark. Yeah, and. Um, he plays Hugh Glass, who's kind of a real figure, but he didn't have a son and he kind of was attacked by a bear. That's kind of what you'll see in the trailer. He was attacked by a bear, left for dead by his colleagues, understandably to a degree. Like, I don't see why he was so pissed off. Like, um, well, he was probably pissed off by the fact that they killed his son and then yeah. left him for dead. Yeah. But in reality, uh, he was... Which would annoy you. That'd yeah, put you okay. on the edge. You'd be like, oh, they killed him in front of me. Oh, I was able to watch. <laughs> but, uh, so he was left for dead and then he doesn't die he comes out of it and goes on a rampage through the American wilderness to find uh, Tom Hardy who was John Fitzgerald probably Irish connections with a name like that and Will Poulter who plays uh, Bridger he's great in this um, Tom Hardy and Will Poulter were left behind to be like look you have to wait with him until he dies bury him and then come and catch up with us and the people are trying yeah, to which is like why are you walking slowly and then we'll just run extra fast yeah. in three days time so um, Donald Gleeson plays Captain did they know where they were like that was another thing I was a bit a little bit I was confused by like did, 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 were they working off maps or was it I well I think that was the thing that like, Hugh Glass was kind of he was, was the, the he knew where they were the going navigator yeah but they kind of managed to get back to the cabin themselves uh, Don Gleeson plays Captain Andrew Henry and he's great he's kind of like a real uh, a coward's too strong a word but he just kind of doesn't he's a bit lost and don't know where he's going so um, Tom Hardy's always like look we need to leave him behind but he makes him stay so then they kill him and uh, Leo goes after them then I absolutely love this film um, really needs to be seen on the big screen uh, biggest screen as possible because you've got Inaretto's one of the amazing. new iPhones would that be yeah the, the big the, the big one plus, yeah, the plus yeah. iPhone if you can get it um, I realised when I was doing a wee bit of research for this the film is shot entirely in natural light apart from one scene around a campfire so it meant they only had a couple hours of shooting a day and it was, apparently it was a nightmare shoot and you can kind of tell that when you're watching it um, it started filming in Canada but then because of the delays with shooting because of the bad weather the snow eventually began to thaw so they had to move it to southern Argentina um, I think Leo should get the best actor I think he's fantastic in it it's a really physical performance uh, we'll have a wee clip from it here but it's this is actually like a TV short trailer for it because it's kind of quite hard to get uh, a clip with a lot of audio because there isn't much yeah, audio you can go and listen to the lovely score uh, as well um, okay
Yeah, so there we go. Uh, full of drama, full of tension, real physical performance from Leonardo DiCaprio. Tom Hardy, I don't really like, so it's great in this. Do you like him in this? hate him. Yeah, oh, yeah, but he's playing a good character to hate. Um, it looks fantastic. There's about three shots that are kind of burned into my memory of this. I almost thought it was like apocalypse now of a frontier film kind of um it also we also have the classic kind of american the searchers in reverse because there's a parallel story where there's a bunch of uh, native americans looking for uh, one of their daughters um who've been kidnapped by a bunch of white um people so that's Fren- kind of Frenchies, like yeah that's maybe. kind of the searchers in reverse and that's fantastic so there is a real kind of sense of native america in it and uh when DiCaprio won the Golden Globe, he's like, we need to start appreciating their heritage and what are they called in Canada? First Nations people? First Nations mm. and indigenous people of the world, which was very Brando of him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there was two, it kind of made me laugh. He had to learn two types of Native American language. Uh, Pawnee was one. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Like Parks and Recreation. Yeah. yeah. And I can't really pronounce the second one, Arcara. Oh, Yeah. Okay. So yeah, apologies to all our Native American listeners. Um yeah, so I, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, hard hard to knock it and I mean I've I cuz I liked Birdman when I watched it last year and then when the more it went on and I loved Boyhood and then Birdman overtook it and took the director and the picture nod and then I was like maybe I hated Birdman and I didn't I enjoyed Birdman but it was a bit a bit maybe shallow or whatever like it was what it was. I of. never want to watch it again. Mm. Like I've no intention whereas I re- I want to watch The Revenant again. I want to I watch it in slow motion. You could tell me the whole thing was slowed down to, to you know ten percent speed, and it was going to be a twenty four hour installation in the RHA gallery. And I would yeah, and that's cool. I'm going to go in. I'm going to watch it for a while because it, it is it's it's amazing. Like I mean my. I went to this on a on a Friday afternoon, which I've decided is the best time to go to the cinema, um, because there's never anyone there. You're getting to see the film fresh uh, before it's out. You, I think you saw the Cine World preview. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed your thing in the review actually that there was some wanker beside you, squeaky seat, talking phone, blah blah blah, and yet it didn't. Didn't uh, we can tell me? We could do another podcast on that. I had another chump beside me at the big short. Uh, took his phone out, and I had to politely ask him to put that thing away. Um, and then I stopped him in, <laughs> in the neck uh, with a Twizzler. Um, so, no, anyway, so Friday afternoon, um, sat kind of in the first couple of rows in the middle, no one around you, and you're just able to enjoy it. Um, I had to pee at the bit where the, he was in the, he did his whole um, Empire Strikes Back in the horse, cutting up the horse. Oh, yeah, the yeah. And at the point when I came back from that, uh, the film sort of lost me just a little bit because I was so captivated by it up until that point. And that might have been because my sphincter and my bladder was under strain. And so my I was under stress. I don't actually think so. I think that, that, that that's the only bit where I'm like, I question the direction of it, whereby the, he is sort of, let's say his journey changes a little bit. There's a bit of saving and it's not as focused as a one bit survival revenge thing, because all of a sudden he's in this very safe environment and he makes a choice again to re-enter that. And that kind of bothered me a little bit. I don't know if Donald Leeson was any good in it was he oh I really liked him yeah I thought he played that kind of lily livered he's just there because his dad's famous and he doesn't really know what he's at yeah but he's still in charge kind of thing true enough maybe 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 so but I like we're still talking I I think I give it four and a half they were only my little kind of things um there's a beautiful um 
and wonderful uh, Instagram account from Emmanuel Lubeski, uh, aka Chivo, the cinematographer, and he's been posting pictures of, from this over the last couple of months again. As a like, it feels like a really natural bit of promotion and like not controlled by some marketing chump or something. But it's well worth kind of checking out. And then um, Inieretu is doing lots of interviews. Logically enough, the best ones I've seen is the uh, he's part of the Hollywood directors, Hollywood reporters director roundtable. I kind of hated Quentin Tarantino after and watching I, that and yet I loved him as well we'll come on to Tarantino in a little while but yeah. um, Inuretu is brilliant in that and then he does a director series uh, from the Directors Guild of America podcast chat uh, about 25 minute conversation where Darren Aronofsky uh, wow. interviews him and they just talk for about 25 minutes and it's it's absolutely wonderful but even after listening to more of those things after seeing the film you appreciate more that what he's doing like there's no one making films like him now like getting the money to do what he's doing but also dedicating all of this time disappearing into the wilds of Canada like he said literally if they got up at four in the morning they weren't able to shoot at any time before noon and then they had three hours so yeah. there's, there's this thing with the magic hour and it being the best time to make a film that's that's true but in Calgary he said this beautiful thing that the weather shifts it has the most shiftable weather your mother shift no uh, we let's not do the mother joke shiftable weather in the uh, in the world apparently so like they had to that's kind of why they had to do these one take kind of things because it just wasn't going to be possible to do the normal back four thing they could only it was hard to drag in more than one or two camera crews as well so they had to just make the film like this so I can't even and I don't know where the joins are in these films anymore like before when you were watching Terminator 3 10 years ago you could see right that's crap CGI you mm. can see that's really bad or even Lord of the Rings you could kind of understand right I see what they've done there with Gandalf he's really tall but you know they've used the um, yeah, a, short, a short person kind of, then yeah. and this I have no idea how most of this film is made and, and it, there's so many parts of it where you're like where, like the bit that stuck out for me is when they're dragging Leonardo DiCaprio up the side of a mountain on a stretcher and it's so in everyone's face and I was like they're doing this all real and I was like where the fuck is the cameraman for this I was like, this, yeah. this is brilliant Aronofsky his first question is like how I don't know how you did that. like he even is stumped by yeah. it he, he, he's a master of film and he's like I don't understand how you did most of this so um, they were very reluctant to explain the bear attack as well it's um, quite harrowing it's very yeah. like Jesus this is keeping going and, and they didn't want you know they wanted to leave the magic of this CGI or whatever in it um, but then I think the guy who played the bear tweeted a picture of himself in a big blue suit as a and so it ruins a little bit of that thing yeah. I mean that's flawless I I don't I it's 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 insane like it is mm. really really special how they how they put the whole thing together so um, this would be one that if it took home the big prizes of these awards it's, it's well deserving like I I haven't read anything people have said that it's a very cold sort of heartless film and it just looks all blue and everything but like I couldn't really fault the whole no, thing. No, but that's you? the kind of whole point. But like, what? It's meant to be yeah, cold like, and heartless. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I hope it's it gets best director. Well, no, I hope Lenny Everson gets best director. But I think this will get best director. Yeah, and film probably. I don't know, but it's then there's the thing I mean, where they give it to him two years in a row. Yeah, I don't I'm, know if I, that's ever happened. Yeah, we know about the double thing with. Tom Hanks for actor um, I this is like a table quiz which we're yeah. not very good at I don't know if, if a director or production team has gotten uh, best picture two years in a row who knows anyway while on that subject of Lenny Abramson getting nominated uh, we'll talk about Room a little bit so um, this is probably the complete polar opposite of The Revenant and yet they sort of share 
things um, around isolation, panic, what you do when you're on like the spirit of the human condition and how you can kind of persevere. I, I'm not sure if Brie Larson knew that she'd be getting compared to Leonardo DiCaprio by, by Nigel on the Spool podcast, but in her in her performance, she deserves it. Like it was an equally, you know, challenging thing to be able to to contain your sort of emotions and, 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 and her difficult thing then is she's playing off uh, I think he must have been seven anyway he's playing a five uh, Jacob Tremblay is playing a five year old uh, Jack and um, they the, the the IMDB description for this I'll go on a, as I start, try to stay on some track um, is really annoying for this because it says after five year old Jack and his mother escape from the enclosed surroundings that Jack has known his entire life the boy makes a thrilling discovery isn't that the most annoying description ever? First of all, anything that alludes to the fact that they What's get the out chilling and carry on. Yeah, I don't know either. That he makes. Thrilling. Yeah, life, the outside, the sky, oh, people. Right. You can get your dogs. hair Dogs. Yeah, dogs. You can play football. <laughs> I don't really know. Anyway, I doubt uh, Ed Guiney or Lenny Abramson wrote that. But um, yeah, Room. Everyone's talking about Room. It's amazing that an Irish film has gotten this level of pure uh, critical um, positivity. I think Mark Kermode has pretty much anointed it as one of his favourite films of the of of what this year is going to be already he's, he's in love with it everyone here has been glowing in its praise of it so I think everyone knows the story and both from a production point of view and in terms of what goes on in it but uh, can we pick any holes in it do you care to be it's negative quite, it's kind of surprise or like it's Maybe before I saw the trailer, you'd wonder if it's going to just be stuck in room the whole time. Yeah, because you hadn't read the book either. No, yeah. Got, yeah. So, but it's really more a film about motherhood and just survival because as much of it is set outside of that world, if not more. And then kind of, because she was very young. She was 20, she was 17 when she's abducted. Uh, she's kept there for seven years. So she's 24 when she gets out. And you kind of forget that because in my head, uh, the actress, um, sorry, Brie, Brie Larson, Larson yeah. is maybe in her mid 30s. Now she might be quite young, but... 24 you're like oh god yeah um, the performances are fantastic it's so unsettling I would have think enjoyed it more if I hadn't seen the trailer but I think they were very much trying to make the effort that look this is not a, a capture film it's not like buried yeah. that Ryan Reynolds film where he's in a box yeah. for the whole thing so um, it's it's not going to be that because I think maybe people wouldn't have gone to see that um, so I was very nervous watching it and suspenseful but kind of in the back of my head was like well I know they get out because you see it in the trailer but I um, thought it was fantastic uh, delighted Lenny got a nod for the director um, the only kind of thing is for me but it's more so from his films it feels the most but it's American of his films like there's kind of crescendo builds with music and tonally I think it's very upbeat towards the end and stuff yeah. which kind of doesn't ring that true with him as a director but I, it's yeah, just people that was what I stuff. wrote so I think I gave it four in the L review um, and that was my beef with it as well is that like that score feels really out of place with what was wanted from it I don't know what the it's story it's a very American uh, film yeah Stephen Rennick's composed it and then the RT National Concert Orchestra uh, recorded it but it's far too like and now I'm going to make you feel uplifted about the whole thing like and and it just kind of it, it grated with me by the end it was it was sort of frustrating a little bit but I don't know that's only a little nitpick of a of a thing that the film the story by itself didn't need that like this is a script I'd say that Emma Donoghue uh, also nominated for best adapted screenplay who wrote the book as we know Irish Canadian I love how we're claiming her as 100% Irish when she hasn't lived here in maybe 17 years or something but she's ours yeah um, but um, she's very much uh, an, an, an Irish product of the of the system and everything and the yeah, relationship 
good tool actually yeah. for anyone if they want to he's a great article during the week it's like the Fintan O'Toole loving love, love him do you follow yeah. Fintan O'Toole box on Twitter no? no it's a very funny parody kind of thing oh okay yeah Sorry, go on, yeah. Yeah, about the environment and, and everything. So, look, I think probably everyone at this stage has heard enough about Room and we'll... Um, it's, I'm sure it's everyone's going to have seen the film, which is great for it. And I tell a lot more people are going to be staying up to watch the Oscars on the 20th. Because of it, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, finally, the big kind of oscar ones, uh, The Hateful Eight, it came out. feels like it came out yonks ago. Um, when did we see it? Two weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, just been uh, so only busy. in very limited cinemas. So. Yeah. So, three-hour Western epic, another Western following on from Django from Quentin Tarantino, very polar. Uh, I saw it twice. A gang of us went to see it the second time. and There were nine of us, annoyingly. It was meant to be a hateful eight, but yeah. in fact it was just a kind of a vengeful nine. So, I think it was split down the middle pretty much, or and more negative maybe than positive. Um, we'll take a wee clip from it here, and then I'll talk about the characters in it afterwards. Well, I tell you what, Bob. The name's John. When we get to Red Rock, I'll buy you and Major Marquess there dinner and booze. My way of saying thanks. I don't drink with rebel renegades, and I damn sure don't break bread with them. Well, Mr. Ruth, you sound like you got an axe to grind against the cause. God, renegade army. Bunch of losers gone loco, you bet I do. Wrapped yourselves up in a rebel flag as an excuse to kill and steal. This ought to interest you, Warren, in particular emancipated blacks. Sounds like my kind of fella. Sound to me you've been reading a lot of newspapers printed in Washington, D.C. Anywho, I'm just trying to let y'all know how grateful I am. I was a goner, and y'all saved me. You want to show me how grateful you are? Shut up. So there we had Samuel L. Jackson, Kurt Russell, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Walton Goggins. So uh, the film starts out with Kurt Russell, who plays John Ruth, who is the hangman, and he's bringing Jennifer Jason Lee to be hung. Uh, she plays Daisy Domergu, which I love the surname for that. And along the way, Samuel L. Jackson is in the middle of the road with three dead bodies. And Kurt Russell is a bounty hunter, as is Samuel L. Jackson. So they've met each other before. He takes him in and along the way they then pick up Walton Goggins who plays Sheriff Mannix who's going to be the new sheriff in town. So the four of them are caught in a snow blizzard and they have to head to Minnie's haberdashery. Um, to, but in between we've got like 40 minutes of dialogue. We heard a wee clip of it there. Um, and when they get there there's already some inhabitants. We've got Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, Bruce Dern and Damien Beecher. And that's kind of our Hateful Eight. Uh, there's some more characters, but we won't spoil it. Um, yeah. The credits, spo- the credits, the credits spoil kind of spoil the, it needlessly. The other person, yeah, I would have thought they would have uh, to. Anyway, if anyone has to see it, I really it. liked it. Uh, a lot of people kind of hated it. It's, to me, a real Western homage again. Kurt Russell, you would have maybe picked up on from that clip, is basically playing John Wayne for the entire film. Um, there is great dialogue between them he even says the line at one point that'll be the day which is kind of the classic line from the searchers that Buddy Holly then went to wrote a song about and yeah it looks fantastic now he filmed it in super Panavision 70mm and you kind of wonder why when 90, 85-70% of it is shot interior but the interior looks amazing there's snow it's obviously in the middle of a blizzard and the snow is coming through the entire cabin at different times looking like golden like fairy dust kind of going through it I thought it was fantastic um, 
Samuel L. Jackson is a bit too Pulp Fiction-y in it, but he still really commands the screen. For me, the standout was Walton Goggins as Sheriff Mannix. Yeah, I, I could have done without uh, Samuel L. Jackson and Michael Madsen being in there, just because they're kind of doing their Tarantino yeah, thing Yeah, and there was the a time. great one of the Honest Posters, the Hateful Eight had been redubbed as Grateful Mates, and a lot of his friends are in it. Tim Roth pissed me off a bit the first time, but I kind of enjoy because he does a ridiculously over-the-top British accent. But but that was his... Yeah, that's because yeah. he kind of had to. Yeah, but um, it kind of works. I think it's a really known Western, and there's a flashback at one point where we have another um, character who drives a stagecoach, and she's basically Calamity Jane. You know, he really knows his westerns and he knows his films. Um, I don't know what his next film is going to be, but apparently he said in interviews before that you're not a western director until you've done three westerns. So is he going to do another one? I don't know. Um, I'd heard something, but I tend to switch off. I, I love Quentin Tarantino as, as a person, but I switch off once this film comes out because it's just nonsense. Like the, a script will leak and then they'll do a thing and blah, 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 blah. And then in two years, we'll get the product. And yeah. that's when you tune back in. The film's like, 18s and for a while you're wondering why is it? And then it kind of notches up a gear and there's the usual Quentin Tarantino absolute gore and it, to me it doesn't bother me because it's just fantastical you know it's fantasy violence and it doesn't annoy me I know it can un- annoy some people and people have quibbled with Jennifer Jason Lee kind of gets the shit kicked out of her for most of the film but to me Quentin Tarantino I believe isn't a sexist or anything like that so and it's to kind of show that she's such a She's quite a horrible figure. In, but like, she's, she's a genderless character. She could, you could. I often say this about when people complain about sexism and stuff. She could be a. There's nothing in there that really alludes to her femininity or anything like. So she could be a male and just with a different name, and I think it'd be the exact same, just changing the pronouns or. Yeah. Why does whatever. it have to be? Uh, yeah. And so they've put a woman, and that's fine. Like, so yeah. I didn't see anything that's not, you know. Yeah. So. What do you think of the film? Um, yeah, I I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Um, but I sort of. Yeah, again, I tuned into Tarantino, gotten a bit hooked on him. Um, so I, I didn't, I, I don't know anything about these things, but um, he did this uh, podcast again. You can tell I'm driving to work over the last month since my bike was robbed because I'm listening to loads of stuff. Uh, he does a, a 90 minute sit down with Brett Easton Ellis, uh, who wrote what? American Psycho, yeah. which I was like, why do I know Brett Easton Ellis? I don't know anything. Anyway, um, it's an intense, heavy uh heavy heavy conversation uh, our our spool uh, listener uh, Colin Russell had recommended it to me and it's a very very good conversation so anyway I got so hooked in on everything I, I listened to that the week before the film came out and so I was kind of in hyped Tarantino mode altogether um, I think it's better than Django it's more focused uh, it's you know possibly makes more sense from beginning to end as in Glorious Bastards like he just is he's kind of telling a nice story I think it's baggy in the middle for definite the bit before the interval is um I, I could have done without a little bit of that but then you know it comes back from the interval and then from then I'm just kind of hooked right until the very end and he knows even amidst all the kind of like Tarantino not you know everyone's saying he needs editors and everything like that he knows exactly how to write an intense uh, conversation of, of between two people and you're just moving closer and closer and kind of oh my god then someone's going to be and then the whole thing kind of hits off so you know who poisoned the coffee I don't know yeah. So um it's it's very good as a as an example of again we talk a little bit of Inaretu as a guy who is one of these prime guys making films today to the 
to the max if you think about it, the best way you can make films Tarantino is still very much doing things his way shooting on film all the time the film doesn't open in half the cinemas in the country he doesn't seem to care because the people who are getting to see it are the right people so hopefully Miramax continue to give him as much money as he needs and everyone continues to want to work with them um, mm. and I, I think he has two more isn't that the kind of talk this thing yeah, he wants is, to do ten yeah, he'll do ten um, and like I think people kind of think it's a, a get off or whatever or maybe he has said he didn't intend this when he was writing it but then it did turn into it a bit it's real commentary in American society at the moment I think with the whole race relations going on there there's two great lines of dialogue when the I think it's the sheriff says the only time when white people are safe is when they've got guns and then Samuel L. Jackson says the only time when black people are safe is when white people don't have guns there's a real whole thing about that and not to give away the spoiler kind of the race card kind of black and white come together at the end but ultimately it's still women who are kind of the worst for wear towards the end of it I think he's kind of making a comment perhaps in that I don't know it's something I kind of read into when I was watching it isn't that nice that mm. you're forming your own opinions um, that is I yeah I didn't read I read a lot about Tarantino but I didn't read many reviews of the film just because they were so insanely divisive like I think one star Irish Times five in The Guardian um, so yeah Tarantino that's why we love him um, we've, there's lots of other films that are out this month but we I don't know we've a, we've a bit more time maybe just Creed was one that um, my movie at the moment uh comes from of the month comes from Creed um, which is the new Rocky film again which is something I think people have been talking about it's basically Rocky 7 but the way they marketed it was quite clever because um, we didn't really know who I guess I remember that first trailer were you in cinema with me when that kind of hit and you're like oh this looks like a nice kind of low key independent film um, and then Rocky, uh, Sylvester Stallone turns up and you're like oh he's kind of thingy so comes from the director of Fruitvale Station which uh, was a very low key little film that I'm not sure many people got to see but it showed a shooting on a uh, subway platform kind of so real life event yeah real life event and then kind of dramatised and everything so uh, Michael B. Jordan not Michael Jordan but a new Michael Jordan uh, was in that and he stars as Apollo Creed's son here Adonis Creed so it's kind of weird if if you if this film had been pitched to you a year and a half ago you would have laughed it out yeah, and wouldn't said I'd have no interest like yeah. what do you mean Adonis is, or Apollo Creed is he actually someone who we need to care about and then you're watching the film going I love Apollo Creed so much I can't believe he's gone yeah no it's done fantastically it's, it's really good Good, feel good movie great montages um, that's my movie moment I'm kind of jumping ahead my movie moment of the month is the final of the training montages when he's running along with the bikes and the music like there's something about the score and you're like this is incredibly yeah. powerful like so well done to but when Ryan I was Cogler doing the read when I was looking up at some old stuff for the review of this they really have like I'm not a mad Rocky fanatic I'd say people would know it more they've just this is almost a, a montage of all the Rocky films because they've taken that bit we were on about yeah. there's another bit where Sylvester Sloan and one of the films is running through markets and like being like yeah, yeah. I'm doing it for you and you and the bit with the chicken that's in an old film um, I was, yeah but I felt it was done in a, oh, in it's done a, really in a well. good way mm. so who would have thought that uh, five years ago that two of the most popular and most enjoyable films of Christmas 2015-2016 would be remakes of films from 1977 Star Wars A New Hope and Greed being yeah. Rocky um, so uh, yeah very good um, and movie. it's getting next to no Oscar love apart from Sylvester Stallone for best part which will win 
Yeah, which I guess I want to happen, and yet it's sort of tiring if when that just. I kind of want him because he's old, and you know, it's it's a great performance. Yeah. It's his best performance. And the amazing trivia that the the a career playing the same character the longest duration between being nominated for playing the same character so he nominated for playing Rocky Balboa 77 and now 39 years later he plays the same character so yeah um, my movie moment of the month is from The Revenant there's an amazing scene where they go out to find Leonardo DiCaprio and it's at night but it's all with torches and lovely red and colours within a wood I just thought that was fantastic it's my movie moment absolutely um, yeah, what well, an amazing one! I actually do think this will go down as probably um, the strongest single month. We're gonna we'll do, we'll do up our best and worst at the um, in a couple of days, and it's all basically pretty much best apart maybe the Danish girls about the only passive thing. Yeah, we'll I talk didn't, a bit more about it, and then Joy was a bit divisive, but we'll see what we have to say about it. Um, but we will talk. We're going to try to watch every Oscar film that we can by the time they're out next month. Um, I've already gone through a list. So uh, the Danish war film, A War, is I think still playing in the lighthouse. So you might still be able to see that. Um, and we've a couple of the documentaries as well that are reviewable as well. But do you want to wrap up then with the scene it that we're going to do? So the the hot topic of the moment. Yeah, hashtag Oscars so white. So for the last two years, all 40 best actor and actress categories and the Oscars and support knows have all been white people so it's kind of come to the fore again this year and Spike Lee did an interview with Good Morning America and I think it's really good because he kind of is making the point that like it's a much deep rooted problem than just the Oscars because they're not in the room black people aren't in the room when films are getting greenlit but they want to, the, the thing with yeah. the Oscars is last year we had that like ginormous musical number for Selma remember mm. that like it's not that the academy and the, the chairwoman of the academy is black um and like it's but not that she, they don't it, want it no I but it's a massive think. uphill struggle yeah. because an exactly, article yeah. in the LA Times or something a couple of years ago came out and said that the average age is 63 exactly, yeah. years old so most that's, of them are men that's the problem it's not the guys organising the thing sending out the forms it's a bigger it's systematic and it's thing, much yeah. deep rooted so I think this is a really good funny uh, interview with, from Spike Lee with uh, Good Morning America see you next month when I received my honorary Oscar at the governor's ball in November, she began that night saying, this is her plan. So it's not gonna, I mean, we can't say hocus pocus, presto changeo, and the membership's gonna change overnight. The numbers are kind of amazing, 94% white, 77% male. But here's the thing, and I like to state, I like to say this. The Academy, okay, my man Michael Strand over here again, he knows what I'm talking about. This whole academy thing is a misdirection play. Okay, how? We're chasing the, the guy down the field. He doesn't have the ball. The other guy is high-stepping the end zone. So this goes, it goes further than the academy awards. It has to go back to the gatekeepers. Studios. Yes, the people who had the green-white vote. Have you seen Hamilton yet? I have seen Hamilton. You know the song, You Gotta Be in the Room? Yeah. We're not in the room. We are not in the room. The executive, when they had these green, uh, green light meetings quarterly, where they look at the scripts, they look who's in it, and they decide what we're making, what we're not making. How do you change that? We can eat Michael. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? It's Mike. What do you want me to do? Go in the meetings and threaten people? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. You know what I'm talking about. I'm using sports references. I got you. Do we need the Rooney Rule? Okay. NFL. We need a Rooney rule. It's some type of rule. So quota. Yes. 
if the NFL, if a head, if a head coaching job opens up or a senior executive, a senior executive position, you cannot hire anyone to interview minority candidates, and that has increased the number of minority coaches and, and executives in the NFL, and that should be used. So you got to widen the pool out. Have to, because you, we can't go to old that old tired well. Well, we can't find any qualified. Cannons. That's BS. How about your own experience? You get you 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 make you make your movies. Do you feel like you've been snubbed? Like you haven't had a fair hearing? One best, what one what one best film? Nineteen eighty nine. I don't know actually. Driving Miss F and Daisy. And which film did you have in nineteen eighty nine? Do the right thing. That film's being taught in colleges, schools, all. Of, no one's watching this Driving Miss Daisy now. So it also shows you that the work is what's important because that's the stuff that's going to stand for years, not an award, not whether it be a Grammy, a Tony, or whatnot. So even if you don't get the Oscar, there is some success, but there's still a huge problem in the whole studio system. From top to bottom. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one.